The song is Card Regas doing a cover of Metallica's Search and Destroy. By request. Running. On your way, hiding. You will be dying. 1,000 deaths. Running. On our way, hiding. You will be dying. 1,000 deaths. Oh, seek and destroy. Oh, seek and destroy. I said, yeah, seek and destroy. One more time, yeah, seek and destroy. Oh, Carlo Rodriguez is the GM of the chest. GM Wow, welcome to the Geomologist, everyone. I have a lot of call-ins to play and respond to, which I think is pretty cool. And from a variety of people, I think uh, four different callers, which is kind of neat for me. So um, on top of that, in this episode, I, I really need to catch up on the recaps. I know that's like the main focus, because I am the Geomologist, I guess. The main focus, or maybe I'm the Playerologist, probably not. Jason would fail me in that class, um, that I run and play a lot of games, and it's fun to recap them and give my little impression and anecdote. So in this particular episode, I'm going to have a, a few recaps. I'm going to have a recap of the Warhammer Fantasy game that I ran last Thursday. I'm going to have a recap of our um, Call of Cthulhu game that I run for Jason and his son sporadically and I'm going to uh, talk about the game that I played on Monday which was a Pathfinder 2 game uh, set in a sort of Victorian age steampunk slash coal punk fantasy world devised by uh, Kevin Madison of Dungeon Musings um, and that was, game was actually really cool so um, I'll talk about those three games and I played some other games this week that I'm going to talk about in my wrap-up of 2021 episode that I'm going to try to put out Friday. Uh, this episode I'll try to put out today, so you have a couple days to digest. But I also want to talk about my shortly and briefly uh, character creation that I did for my future Traveler game. I'd love to run Deep Knight Revelation, and there's a, uh, a prequel to that called The Deep Knight Legacy. And uh, I made the crew to the uh, ship's boat or resupply ship that uh, goes out to uh, where this adventure takes place. So I'll talk about that as well. All right, let's get to it. Let's get to it. We open in the midst of a contested skirmish between our heroes and Skaven. Marastra, Ulrich, and Sebastian are locked in melee combat with a heavily armored and very tall Skaven and its minions, while Reginald, just having dispatched a fleeing Skaven, decides what to do. It seems like the heroes got the upper hand pretty quickly. Um, Marastra had been whittling down 
the Skaven leader. He presses the attack. He is full of momentum and slowly, slowly, a death of a thousand cuts. Well, Halbrid strikes, uh, not a thousand, maybe five or six. Eventually take down the leader, Ulrich, uh, also who had been injured a bit. Um, actually not, had been injured and had lost momentum against the Skaven. Gains the upper hand now that he's doubled up. Um, and uh, slowly wins that melee battle too. Reginald and Sebastian seeing that or hearing, having seen that two Skaven were fleeing towards the horses, run out there, take shots with bow and gun and uh, get the attention of the Skaven. I think, I think uh, Reginald hit one. So those Skaven come charging back down the hill. And the ghost Brunhild takes a couple shots at the fleeing Skaven that's swimming down the river, uh, killing it. So Morastra finishes his adversary, and as Reginald and Sebastian close with their two foes, Morastra charges in with a mighty swing, decapitates one, and strikes down the other, felling them all. There's a kind of a calmness, um, though the party has still some work to do. Brunhild leads them to her body. They properly bury it. The druid, Gerholt, he, his name's not Gerholt, the druid, it's a long name with a big, with a G. Um, he helps them to do the rites for the deceased and the ghost sort of seems more at peace and calm. There's less of a fearful aspect. She leads them to where her companions were murdered by Dagmar von Witten against it, Genstein, Wittgenstein, Wittgenstein. And um, they proceed to take apart the rubble and collapse that is there in the tunnel. When there's a man-sized opening, something scrambles out and they proceed to dispatch a skeleton first one then another and eventually four skeletons uh, they hold the line very well the skeletons uh, maybe get an attack or two in but uh, with three companions um, holding the line one of them being marastra <clears throat> with his mighty halberd it doesn't take long to dispatch these skeletons they have a greenish glow infused with warp stone. They are the remains of uh, Brunhild's companions. And they find some treasure. They find a, a gold, uh, some gold. They find a, gold, a silver flask with some sort of liquid. And they find the last key. They had discovered five keys on the undead at the signal tower or underneath the signal tower that the dwarves were helping to reconstruct. And now they had the sixth key and the decision was made to go back. So, um, yeah, it was a good fight. They found some treasure. Um, it seems like a curse is lifted. And with that, Brunhild, as she fades away, uh, gives them a charge to destroy the Witchkinsteins because they have it is implied the warp stone that was in the crater and she presents Sebastian since he is a bowman 
uh, with her ghostly bow. So, um, yeah, he gets a cool magic item. I think I made it that uh, it would, it, it, it's a fires, gives a bonus to hit uh, with bowmanship or ballistic skill, I guess, of using a bow. And then um, I think I decided on a fellowship uh, level times per day. It can fire a ghostly arrow, which will ignore any armor uh, of a of an adversary and do the full damage. So it only would only take toughness off, right? So um yeah, it's good fight. Got our adrenaline pumping uh, to continue on. So then they decided they they knew it was gonna take like about three days to get back to the inn and the locks at the at the conjunction of the rivers where they left uh their boat the endeavor and uh so they go that way and then they have a feeling that they're being followed they can't quite place who it is there's not as much chaos attacking them and going after them as there was on the way up it seems that there's a respite from the attacks of the chaos gods or the the eye of the chaos gods upon them however they do find uh on the third day a second day actually a day out from um, um from the inn of the something waterfall um, near the town of Unterbaum, they come across a camp, and the camp is still disturbed. The coals are still warm. There's two tracks. There's uh, that Demarastra finds. He finds uh, tracks of horses going uh, sort of east, and tracks of people on foot going southeast uh, back towards the inn. So they track the southeast. There's more. They're on foot. They could get them. So they catch up with them. They find out that there's a, it's a band of mutants uh, with one robed person uh, sort of leading them. And uh, they decide to ambush them. Marastra actually uh, canters his horse, not canter, you know, walks his horse uh, around uh, to their flank. Uh, they do this exceedingly well with some fantastic die rolls. So they get the ambush off. Bow shots, gunshots, uh, a cavalry charge by Marastra, um, who cuts down the rogue figure. A couple of these mutants are injured pretty badly, and uh, the players join the melee. And I don't recall anyone being very dramatically injured. Um, I know Fang got to pull down a mutant uh, who was fighting one of the players. Maybe Reginald got injured, uh, an odd occurrence for the duelist to get uh, ganged up on and a little slightly overwhelmed. Um, but uh, with Marastra riding around on his horse and cutting things down with his hammer or blasting things with his hammer, I guess. Um, yeah, the, the fight was quick. Um, they did discover, they had overheard and they did discover that uh, the man in robes was also a mutant like uh, bestial legs, uh, goat-like legs, and had a uh, scroll, which they destroyed, of course, they, they hating chaos, the characters, and uh, they kind of overheard that they were going to go to the inn and cause some havoc and try to await and ambush the players as they returned. Um, some curious clues, uh, Reginald smelled 
a perfume at the camp, but he did not smell it on these stinky mutants. Um, so they now have an idea of that there might be someone of means leading these people, but that, those people weren't there. And Maroster continues to have this dream or vision of someone looking over him. Um, he's able to push away the fatigue that it might involve, but he still can't get a face on who is staring at him in his dreams. So pretty curious. Um, they got back to the inn, and they're going to head back to Kemperman, and they've already decided to go to the signal tower and uh, deal with what is below there with their last key. So we'll see how that goes. A very good session, a lot of action. So, you know, two skirmishes in the session. And uh, it's a really good game. I guess we're not playing until next year. Um, next Thursday, I guess it would be the 5th, maybe. It's actually the 6th. And we'll be playing, again, this ongoing campaign. Uh, it is... I should have given a spoiler warning ahead of time. It is, we are playing through the enemy within. We are on Death on the Reich, the second book. But I would say that the players and the cool thing about these adventures is that they there is no sure there are some clues that the players and leads that the players can pursue, but uh, they actually took a turn. They decided that helping the dwarves was important. Finding what was below the signal tower was important. Following the map that they found in the signal tower was more important than traveling down to Grissenwald and, and uh, finding this strange... Uh, following this cryptic message of a strange ally in Grissenwald of the uh, Purple Hand folks. So, um, yeah, they're, uh, they maybe cut some of the adventure out by taking this left turn at Kemper Band, but uh, now I guess we'll be quote-unquote back on track. I think they want to deal with the Signal Tower and deal with the Wittgensteins, and that'll probably conclude uh, the adventure. We're about three-quarters of the way through, I would say, and I think after that we're going to take... I, I do have Power Behind the Throne in print already, um, but I think we might take a little break from the campaign and do a little palate cleanser that's what one of the players called it. Uh, the player who plays Reginald called it a palate cleanser. And we'll probably play, he wanted to play straight D&D with uh, dragons and dungeons and haunted houses. So I think I settled on Ghost of Saltmarsh. I know one player is like, oh, you can use Ghost of Saltmarsh to get into Ravenloft. We'll see. I mean, I think if you want to play traditional D&D, then diving into Ravenloft is not quite that. So, um, yeah. That was a Warhammer Fantasy role-playing, the fourth edition, and we're playing through the Enemy Within campaign. Uh, it's very interesting how much we can get done in person compared to online. I mean, I do enjoy my online play, don't get me wrong. I play with people all over the world. It's great, but it's hard to beat live, uh, live play, right? So, um, yeah, that was it. That's the session recap. Sunday morning, I got to run a Call of Cthulhu game. And this is our sporadic, no schedule set game that I run for Jason Connerly and his son. And the last adventure we started, it 
the theme is kind of that Innsmouth look. It's a theme for my quote-unquote campaign. We'll see if this continues or how it goes. But this adventure that we're running is called The Inheritance. It is in the Escape from Innsmouth product by Chaosium. Written by Kevin Ross and Friends. So there are spoilers ahead. Uh, if you want a spoiler, less less spoiler-free uh, recount of this episode, you can go to Jason Connerly, episode 301. He talks about it a bit. So the investigator has his house. In the last episode, he had traveled. They had traveled to Innsmouth. They had picked up a reporter that they had met in a previous adventure, an Elsie. Uh, I think her last name, what is her last name? I can't remember. It is Elsie Caldwell. She is from Ipswich nearby and actually was kind of what got him into this interest in Innsmouth in the area in the previous adventure, the Spaceman or something like that. So they go to Ipswich. They meet up. They met up with her. She had driven him out there. They had done all the legal and right things and gone to get the keys. They didn't break in. They investigated the house found some interesting diaries that gleaned more information on the weird stuff that goes on in Innsmouth and something escaped from the attic. So they had gone the next day, uh, beating the swamp. It was not successful. Eventually they got out of the swamp and arrived at the house of a Nick Casper, who's sort of a hunter in the area, has nothing to do with Innsmouth, would rather not have anything to do with Innsmouth. But the investigators plead with him to help them find this creature uh, in the swamp. So he agrees, and they set up to come back the next day and uh, help or do that or let Casper help them. They go back into town, buy some supplies, drive by the ornate church row in the town. So the rest of the town is run down, but the churches look really nice, interesting. And then they, um, yeah, they wait till morning. Uh, the investigator who inherited the house, played by Jason's son, Wyatt Dreyfus, uh, that's the name of the investigator, has a weird dream, and uh, it's very disturbing. And it, it seems like it's a slow, the kind of, this kind of entry is a slow burn. It uh, suggests, or it is up to the player and the GM, whether it is unclear the actual blood lineage of the investigator and it is up to the player and the GM to decide if he actually has sort of that Innsmouth blood um, through his a great a grandmother. So we, we kind of have left it unclear. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Jason's son is cool with that. We'll kind of figure it out as we go along, he said. So uh, we will figure it out as we go along. So in this, uh, this time, this was, uh, it was, it was, it seemed short, but it, kind of a lot happened uh they did go to casper's house they drove out there and then they kind of beat through the uh the great Innsmouth salt marsh for a while they found some tracks they found that the tracks led to this trash heap and there was definitely some activity with some bones being piled uh, oddly neatly and uniformly they they continued tracking and they found out from some of the locals that something was stealing their chickens um so the characters kind of are like, uh-oh, this is not good. It's probably going to escalate. This creature's eating more and more. And But fortunately, well, in the adventure, 
the creature was watching them and they saw it. They got some really good rolls and they saw it. They saw, they saw something scare a fox out of the reeds. Um, unfortunate for that poor stalker. Um, and uh, then Jason's character, Randolph West, got a glimpse of it. And uh, he took a shot with a shotgun. Uh, it seems like he injured it somewhat. And Elsie uh, Codwell had shot at the shot at the fox and totally missed, but then shot at this creature that was fleeing and hit it. And then they were able to track it once Casper and Dreyfus, who were talking to the locals, heard the shots and joined them. They tracked it to this kind of bridge over the road north out of Innsmouth. And uh, Randolph West volunteers to go in there and deal with the creature. Uh, the creature jumps out at him and he shoots it. It was a really good roll by Jason. He blasts it as it jumps at him, um, killing it. And uh, there was some fear uh, from the investigators and some sanity checks, but they maintained their cool except for Wyatt Dreyfus, and he kind of blacked out. He, I don't know, probably a combination of the dream, what he had read, this whole idea that he is an inheritor of property in this weird town of Innsmouth, and he kind of blacks out. He maybe sees a resemblance in this creature from the attic. I don't know. Hard to say. Uh, they uh, take the, they wait for Nick Casper to get his truck uh, to get the creature. And they, uh, there's a weird incident where there's these policemen on the bridge, but everyone, all the investigators hide and the policemen leave. They don't see anything untowards. They're probably responding to, well, you know, shots uh, about a half mile outside of town. Uh, it's probably like three or four shots, right? So uh, they investigate it, don't see anything. Probably assume it's hunters hunting uh, in the swamp and they go back to town. So, um, yeah, uh, nothing weird happened there. They put the body in the back of the truck and haul it back to Nick Casper, who lets him use his uh, breakdown shed, uh, where he probably breaks down carcasses uh, of animals that he hunts. And that's where Wyatt Dreyfus proceeds to go even more uh, insane, or head down in that downward spiral towards insanity as he dissects this creature. Um, yeah, he learns a lot. But uh, maybe at the expense of his mind, insanity. So, well, they decide to leave Innsmouth for now. They go back to town and they tell uh, this is the next day after getting cleaned up and um, resting, uh, thinking about the events of the previous day. They go back to uh, the Roland Marsh, the lawyer, who's kind of let him know, let Wyatt Dreyfus know about this place and uh, say their goodbyes. Roland asks some questions about meeting some of the locals, which they deny. And uh, they say, yeah, we'll be in touch. And they take off very disturbed, very interested, and very confused as to what their Crawford inheritance means, both uh, the physical thing and, well, the uh, thing inside them. So uh, it was a really good session. I think the next time, well, we're since they've lost some sanity and there's this idea that if you lose too much sanity, you're going to go indefinitely insane. So they're going to go get some help. And I have an idea in mind to get them together with my wife's character, Keiko Kane, who is a base in Arkham. There's an asylum there and they're known for their use of psychotherapy. So maybe these guys will be patients of Keiko Kane, which I think would be kind of a neat way to blend these two 
disparate uh, campaign ideas together. We'll see. It was a fun game. These guys are always fun to play with. And I'm glad we were able to get one of these done during the holidays. Last Wednesday, we were unable to meet for our Pathfinder 2 ongoing Abomination Vaults game, but I wanted to do something gaming related, so I decided to make characters, traveler characters, for an upcoming one of these days one shot of the Deep Knight Legacy Adventure, which is a prequel to the epic Great Rift Spanning and Beyond Exploration Campaign, Deep Knight Revelation. And the characters are the crew. The skeleton crew, really, of Rift Hauler 4A4. And they're being sent to somewhere deep in the Rift, reference point XF1402, and they operate out of Wantil subsector in Corridor, but also make jaunts across into Vlan sector, the subsector being Lakali, Career, and based around uh Gikur. um so yeah that's what i decided to do and i think it came out pretty well i have very interesting character um i will introduce them as best i can um the first one i have here i'm just doing alphabetical order on the roll 20 i set up the game in the roll 20 is iniri gani makur and oh, i generated all these names kind of like how, tra- how Roll20 puts up random names and I can just kind of tweak them a little to make them more phonetically appealing for the Traveler verse. Iniri has an interesting backstory. Um, he is nominally the engineer's assistant, but his history, and that's what I kind of did. Oh, I should note uh, how I made these characters. Uh, hold on a second. Let me get the exact information. Character generation is done through a fan site. Uh, munsundev.com slash caregen slash I will put the link in the show notes and what's cool is that you put in your name which I would have generated from um, World 20 and then when you continue you can select the species that are from the Mongoose Traveler 2nd Edition book Oslan Human and Barger once you do that, then it'll roll your 2d6 times 6 for characteristics. You select those, and then it goes through the character generation process, rolling randomly uh, here and there when needed. Uh, there are some options that the player character will select. Uh, for example, like which career uh, list or which list they're going to roll on for career skills or whatever. So, so this guy went um, five terms, and it looks like he started as a noble but probably is on the run because there was an assassination attempt on him so it sounds it looks really interesting that's Neri. if you want to play a noble on the run that's the one to play the next character i have here on the list is the astrogator or lerber slow kurgroff he is a he or maybe she is a barger and uh, she is listed as the astrogator but also has an interesting past she tried to get into the university, but then became a drifter when did not when failed to graduate uh, from university and has gained some skills 
such that, well, she or he can pass as an astrogator. Um, so I think that's a pretty cool. If you want to play a Varger with a mysterious past, Lurbler Slow is the one for you. The next is our pilot, Omil Sados. And Omil, um, he was a scout. So he did some terms in the scout service, um, was a surveyor and explorer. So this is kind of his wheelhouse. He is, this is what he loves to do and uh, enjoys doing this uh, great rift type service because it is new and exciting. You never know what's out there. Next is our captain, Osar Ido. And Osar, I, he is a kind of, he failed to get into the university, but then he joined the Merchant Marines and had a very successful career, five terms in the Merchant Marines, rising uh, to the level of um, merchant. Uh, so he is the captain and in charge of this rift hauler, probably works for the company that does the service and has recruited uh, these players uh, in an emergency uh, for resupplying that point out in the Great Rift. Um, so lastly, we have Rijul Chambers, and Rijul is our engineer. I guess probably Rijul, um, if you pronounce it in the Volani. And Rijul is ex-Navy. He's had a really good career in the Navy. Uh, he has, looks like he has uh, two terms in the Navy. He's pretty young, or maybe three terms. Maybe Looks like three terms in the Navy. Um... Yeah, it looks like three terms. I gotta update that in the in the roll twenty. I did put all the character histories in the roll twenty, so someone could follow along and see what they got and what they did, and kind of generate their own history based on these roles. It's it gives you an outline or a skeleton, but not all the details, and you can fill in the gaps, uh, which I think is a kind of a neat way to uh, do this. So that's reusual. He is an ex Navy engineer. So it's a crew of five. I think that's pretty good. I guess if I run this game with less, these people will be NPCs, or maybe players can take on the role of more than one uh, PC, which I think would be kind of neat. So I would love to get this to the table. I'll probably talk about that more on my New Year's Eve episode, um, the state of the geomologist lab or whatever, something like that. That's what I have in mind and uh, what I would love to play or plan to play or Let's tackle that big list that we have um, somewhere on my Discord and see what uh, what lies ahead for 2022. But that's Traveler character creation. I thought it was really fun to do. Uh, I really like the the uh, develop the character gen developer. I kind of had the book as a reference so I could be informed on what decisions I could make with regards to skill trees or whatever um, or consequences of my decisions and to look up the exact things that. Uh, might uh, might come up like some. I mean, it's it's a skeleton of a character generator, so you have to go to the book to look up like what this uh, particular life event or career event is. So uh, pretty cool. I really enjoyed the character creation for Traveler. The last game I'm going to talk about is a game I played run by Kevin Madison of the Dungeon Musings Media Empire. And the title of the game 
is called The Spires of Paradar, The Untimely Death of Major Fitzhugh. And we use the Pathfinder 2E system, but he set it in a world that is much like our own, circa late 19th century, so Victorian era, maybe like Castle Falkenstein, uh, Disillusion, games like that, sort of steampunk vibe. Um, there's constructs, etc. But he's but what something Kevin said is we're not playing steampunk, we're playing coal punk. We're playing kind of the nitty, the down and dirty, not the high, you know, aristocratic adventurers. But these guys are down in the trenches with the people, I guess. With the, you know, we we don't live in a, we're not rich, I guess. We're not aristocrats, um, and the. It's pretty cool. Uh, I really enjoy the setting, and I definitely want to hear more about it. I don't know where if Kevin has anything written down or whatever, but I do like the vibe and the setting. And it's kind of cool that you can use Pathfinder 2 for a game that's not necessarily medieval Renaissance fantasy, right? So we have three characters that played. Um, I played, I'll go with my character first. I play Hannibal Ducard, and Hannibal Ducard is a Dampier gunslinger he, who's saved by the clockwork. So he has a clockwork arm, actually. He's an old war veteran. Uh, Kevin never specified which wars we were talking about, but uh, maybe the wars uh, during the Victorian era, there's plenty of them, and he is a veteran of some conflict on some earth-like planet medieval planet where there was a lot of veterans and he's a dampier because he was saved by this miraculous drug called the serum they actually call it the vampiric serum and uh he was reanimated so he had died in the war and was reanimated and so since the end of the war this widespread use of the same serum has left the large communities of war veterans and the desperate poor afflicted as Dampier, so that's kind of a thing in Kevin's world. And the contacts he maintains and both help him in his job as troubleshooting investigator, monster, hunt, monster hunter, etc. So he's a sort of a wisecracking, gunslinging swashbuckler with a tragic past. And he was joined by two other players, and they played a character named Dr. Adam Ersprung, who is more or less a Frankenstein monster, a flesh warped. Uh, inventor and he has like a construct named Igor uh, he is a doctor in a sort of bad part of town and lastly the other player played a character named Basil Rathbone who is like Basil uh, the mouse rat detective the great mouse or rat detective and he is an Isoki so Isoki are around in this world and it's kind of cool you could do that I guess I don't know if, I guess it might be in Pathfinder maybe they're an uncommon Ancestry and Pathfinder, I know they're in Starfinder. So it's pretty cool. That's the crew. And uh, uh, we didn't meet up all at once. We didn't meet up. We didn't quite know each other. Well, I, Hannibal works for Basil. He's like his muscle um, in the um, Shadow Illuminations Detective Agency. We're also called the Illuminators, another character coined that phrase. So we start the game with a view onto a street in a not so great part of Paradar, which you can imagine is 
19, late 19th century Victorian London, uh, the ninth Paradin Medical Corps, horseless carriages driving. And in this opening scene, uh, urchins, they kind of stop this carriage, um, mill around the people in charge of it, and uh, they set them up a constable and they steal this whatever is in this carriage, which we later learned is vampire serum. After they stab him, he's able to get a shot off. Apparently he hits one of them because the scene cuts to a more humble street scene. And we're on like a Victorian sales floor in a humble part of town. A lot of folks are waiting for a doctor. A man comes running in calling for the doctor. And here we meet Dr. Erspring with a clockwork nest nurse tending to a patient. The desperate father is a child of about seven. He's been burned from head to toe. But burning is almost, almost exclusively on his skin and is not on his clothing. And Dr. Ersprung has folks leave to assess and tend to the child. And he realizes the child is shot, but then an attempt to heal him with divine power has burned him. And he realizes that this character, this person, this child has been shot as a dampier. In the lobby, he, he treats the, the boy. The boy is in a bad way, in a coma more or less, um, but he saves him. In the lobby, we meet the parents and a priest, the priest of Allah. Apologetic. He is a seems like a nobleman named Father Tilcott. The boy's name is Tom. And the incident where Tom was shot is the opening scene that Kevin shared with us. A friend of him brought him in. They took to the him to the priest to heal. The priest, Father Il, Father Tilcott, he works with the poor as well, um, and he tries to heal him, but realizes his mistake. And they fortunately are able to get him to Doctor Adam Ersprung. Well. Father Tilcott and Adam, Adam knows who we are. He might not have met us, but he knows that there is someone who might be able to investigate this. So they hire us, the Illuminators, the Shadow Illuminations. When we hear the tale, I think of someone named the Ghoul Father who hires a lot of children. If you think of Fagin from Oliver Twist, um, who is it? Yeah, from Oliver Twist. But I don't know. I, Fagin is a veteran also. Why would he? I'm not sure he's infecting the children, but maybe things have changed. Tilbert mentions a Sam Mills. Uh, we learned that Annabelle Carrington wrote the article. We know about the article of this opening scene. Basil has a contact, a captain at the Constelbury, and Odie Withers. Ersprung also has a contact, a daughter, Dr. Abraham Raycroft. So Tilbert pays us a good amount of money, 150 gold crowns. Uh, apparently 175 is like how much we would might make in a, as a first-level adventurer. So... Um, yeah, so we split up, and this is a cool thing about, so the mechanically, well, mechanically what we did is an ex, go into exploration mode, so we split up, and we try to use our skills to try to get some of this information as part of this investigation. Maybe it's in, called investigation mode as well um, somewhere, but, so I go to the Legion, uh, Carrington's there, I, well, we, we actually try to go find Annabelle Carrington at, um, at the paper she works for. She is not there, and that's when we decide to split up, and we'll meet later back at the King's Head Inn. There are a lot of King's Head Inns everywhere, right? So <laughs> I go to the Legion. Carrington's there. Um, I learned about the silhouette of a bird of prey with missing mark markings. We learn later uh, that uh, this is the Nighthawk's badge given to the 4th Paradin Recon Corps in the war. There are recon and special ops units. These markings are found at the scene of a series of burglaries and muggings involving children. Basil, when he meets with Odie Withers, 
the fourth recon group comes up again, the Nighthawks badge. And early on, um, these folks receive this. And then uh, as part of all these robberies, but the police don't want this to get out. They don't want any more headlines, such as the robbery of this vampiric serum. I think Adam Ersprung finds out the most interesting information, I think, for me as a sort of a conspiracy theorist, and I want to learn everything I can when I play. And he meets with Roycroft. Uh-oh. So apparently these early experiments with the vampiric serum, this vampiric serum was probably taking, taken from an actual vampire, and it created vampires. The first generation of serum are supposedly dead, but if one or maybe more survive, they might be able to take control of those under the serum. So even with the war over, we learn that Parliament seems to be keen on maintaining a stockpile of this, which is also interesting if you're thinking about the bigger picture and conspiracy. So we meet back at the King's Head, uh, and we learn that this member of the 4th Recon um, might be a Major Garrett Fitzhugh. So after that, uh, we go down to track the Ghoul Father, and again, we do like an exploration. We use various skills from occult to, to streetwise and stealth to find out where he has. And we do find out, in fact, that Fitzhugh has taken the kids. And, he, and, we, and the ghoul father knows where he is. He resides in Yarley Tower. So we go to the tower, and Potter, Clovis Potter, the ghoul father, calls for his children. Um, he sacrifices himself as he calls for the children, and we see him being overwhelmed and pulled down by these now vampiric, more feral street urchins. So with holy symbols and silver bullets, we make our assault. Uh, well, it's a, it was a crazy fight. I mean, a bunch of level characters fighting a vampire is no small feat. Uh, maybe it was a vampire spawn and not a true vampire, but it was messed up. Um, Hannibal got taken over at least for a round or two. I made, you know, we have uh, we have hero points right as part of the game, and um, yeah, we we burned them. We were burning them left and right to. For me, for example, my character to prevent being taken over, I was actually taken over for one round, and I do a slice or shoot the father who damages me and the vampire with his holy power, right? That's uh, one of the disadvantages of being a vampire is you get damaged by positive energy. Uh, so like a, you know, turn undead type of thing, or what's done in uh, in Pathfinder rules as like positive damage in a, in a, ra a sort of radius. So... Well, um, we survive. Uh, we get some good, some, I don't know, we do, what is, part of it is like the father, the, uh, the NPC that's with us, the cleric, he does a good job of damaging uh, the creature, this, what has become, or what used to be Major Garrett Fitzhugh, I don't know. Um, I get some good shots in. I think uh, Basil uses his, his he has this ability to give us bonuses and find the weakness, and he does really well. Um, a kind of a cool thing that that uh, Doctor Ursprung, the seven foot tall Doctor Frankenstein monster looking doctor, he he pushes the vampire back, he gives us some room, and we're able to shoot. Um, I don't think I ever get a stab in. Not that it matters. The silver bullets are what are important. So I'm able to shoot him and take him down um, with a silver bullet. And that was kind of the end of the session. We have like a montage about what happened. We're offered 25 more gold to keep things silent. Miss Carrington, although we gave her an exclusive, 
is not so much pleased that she has to publish a redacted version of what had happened. I sure that maybe I should have taken some vampire juice to make me more powerful, but we do find out, at least as a month, as an epilogue, that Dr. Ursprung did take a vial of that serum. And then to mess with me, Basil sends a box of chocolates and sweets to Odie's secretary, Miss Worthington, because he feels that Hannibal Ducard is a bit lonely as a dampier. Ducard, I didn't get to share this. Ducard probably might have a sight on Annabelle, Annabelle Carrington. Um, he knows he would never have a chance, but uh, why not? Why not be, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I would want to do with this character, but I really enjoyed playing him with him, like using him. And Dampiers are kind of cool. Maybe I might have to do that in my next Pathfinder game, or at least I'm more amenable to letting someone play a Dampier. But uh, I like the setting. It'd be cool to play a Dampier on this kind of setting. Um, it just seems this kind of cold punk uh, Victorian era. So there you go. It's a really fun game. Great use of Pathfinder uh, 2E rules. I've always liked, and I still contend that Pathfinder has one of the coolest action economies in combat. Combat was quick, deadly, dynamic um, against a freaking vampire who is leaping at us from heights and ripping us apart. I think uh, all of us got jacked up pretty good. I think Basil actually was taken down for a little bit until he was healed by the priest. Um, so, yeah, it was crazy. It was a really neat combat and a really neat concise tale that was able to we were able to do in like one session so we're going to play i'm going to get to play this character again uh sunday uh, january 2nd i think a lot more people are playing so we'll see what shadow illuminations get themselves into this next time but that's it the untimely undeath of major fatigue get to the chopper and now for some Collins. We have Collins from Amy, Joe, Jason, and a first-time caller, Shay Webster. Hey, Carl. I was just calling in. I guess this will be my last call-in of the year to say that I'll be excited for all of us to be back in the new year and hitting Krakow heart. Well, I guess that wasn't my last call of the year. Um, I forgot to mention that I'm excited to see what will happen with Kiko in this up-and-coming year because it seems as though she might get a new patient and a new fun side job from her mental hospital job. And it looks like Kasha is starting on her master plan, although not to take over the whole world, just Krakow right now. Um, and she's looking forward to you know, seeing if she can't find the mom for the kids, getting Sam situated on the farm, taking down the marauders. She has a big to-do list. And on top of that, we've got Sam roaming around out there in the Old West, and she's really looking forward to uh, completing her carriage. Anyways, Happy New Year. That's Amy giving a rundown of Plans for her characters in the future. So Amy plays right now in three games. I guess we've been running sort of this one-on-one -on -one with her in Call of Cthulhu with her character Keiko Kane, who is a physician, uh, psychotherapist, psychiatrist that works at Arkham Asylum in Arkham, Massachusetts, not the DC Arkham Asylum. Well, that'd be a very interesting crossover. And her 
character Kasha, who is well known. In fact, she was referenced in a game that I played uh, recently uh, that I'll talk about in the next episode, uh, where when there is a character, a, a prisoner we had captured, someone in the group who plays with uh, Amy in the Twilight 2000 game said, hey, let's bring Amy in so Kasha can interrogate this person, which I thought was kind of funny. So, yeah. Um, then Sam is the Deadlands character that Amy plays, the agent, and they're in the middle of an investigation. And yeah, they do, she has a plan to make her stagecoach, stagecoach horseless and make it like a horseless carriage, uh, maybe with that uh, missing ghost rock that they've heard about. So yeah, our next call is from uh, Joe Richter. Yo, Carl, yeah, so A Christmas Story is also my favorite Christmas movie, although this year is the first year in as long as I can remember where I haven't actually watched it. You know, we haven't been watching much TV while we've been down here. Uh, I missed the 24-hour marathon of it during, like, from Christmas Eve to Christmas, and yeah, so that's kind of a bummer. I had no idea that there were sequels, and I'm fine with that. I will skip those (laughs) for sure. And then the whole diehard debate, it's so weird to me, and I'm not saying Jason said this or anything, but it's weird to me that there are people out there that try and say Die Hard is not a Christmas movie when it clearly is. It's set on Christmas Day. It's about Christmas. The entire soundtrack is Christmas music. I mean, it is absolutely a Christmas movie, so I don't know. I don't know why people are weird. Anyway, man, I hope you're having a good one. Peace out. Well, Jason has some more to say about A Christmas Story. And I guess I should clarify. So I did say or send a message to Jason on his podcast that said Die Hard was the quintessential Christmas movie. And I think the word da is the problem. I should have said it's a, it is a quintessential Christmas movie for all the points that you outlined, Joe. It is a perfect example of a Christmas movie for our modern sensibility. But uh, it might not be the best movie for Christmas. And maybe since I, Claire said I use the article da, instead of A, um, that was made to seem or sound like an absolute. So here is what Jason thinks about A Christmas Story. Hey Carl, Jason here. So, sorry about giving you a hard time about Die Hard. I mean, Die Hard definitely is a classic and it's a fun movie. And and there's a lot of neat stuff in there. As far as A Christmas Story, yeah, that's a strong contender. There's no question about it. Christmas Story is a tradition for many of us you know, to grow up and watch every year. And so, yeah, I would agree with you. Christmas Story is one of the greats. I think I've seen one of the sequels. I don't really remember. I don't really revisit those. We do have a Christmas Story on DVD. And, of course, was it TBS or TNT? One of the channels plays it for 24 hours every year. At least they used to. But, yeah, the, the original is definitely classic. I've never read any of that author's other stuff, though. His you know, the stories it's based on or, or whatnot. I, maybe I should check those out. I'd be curious to see how, you, you know, his other tales. So anyhow, take it easy and we'll talk to you soon. I want an official Red Rider Cup in action to enter wings while Aaron. No, shoot your eye out. By the way, in your latest episode, you made a reference to The Witcher. Have you watched the second season? If so, what do you think? It's being trashed by the fans of the books. Kind of like... Cowboy Bebop was being trashed, although Witcher Season 2 is being trashed because it's too different from the books where Cowboy Bebop, they said it was too close to the anime, so I guess you can't win either way. I thought Season 2 of The Witcher was okay. It 
it was fine. Um, it drug a little bit here or there for me, but I, I think it could have been condensed a little bit shorter story arc. But it was it was fine. I I want to say there are more monsters in season two than season one. That was one of my complaints about season one is it was all not all, but there's a lot of politics and not so much monster hunting where there's more monster hunting in season two. So that's a good thing. Anyhow, just curious. I have not seen season two of The Witcher. In fact, I'm still on season one. I think the last episode I watched was the flip a coin to Witcher episode. So, yeah, I'm behind on it. I have the book like in my Amazon cart somewhere safe for later, but I uh, haven't really gotten into it. And I, you know, I don't know, this deplatforming that people who are good at getting on social media and just blasting out emails. And I guess I have a lot of followers and they say, oh, this thing sucks, therefore it sucks. Um, I, I don't know, it's not good for a lot of reasons, right? So, I mean, I I enjoyed the Cowboy Bebop live action for what it was worth, and I would love to have seen a, another season to see what they do, especially because it's kind of cool. I mean, cartoons are one thing, anime, sorry, is one thing, but man, to be able to do pull out those special effects of those ships and stuff like that is, is neat to me because I, I love sci-fi. But uh, alas, we are not going to see it because of uh, people. Um, I like I said, I don't know about The Witcher, and and who cares if it diverges from the books? And um, it's a different form of media. It is inspired by the media that you read, or that they're adapting a screenplay. That's why it's called adaptive screenplay. Anyway, I don't know. I don't have to tell you. It's the one of the symptoms of the society that we live in. Also, Carl. If I didn't express it well enough last night, because I was in a hurry to get to bed, we were past my bedtime, thank you so much for playing in my Ninja City game. It was a blast. It was a lot of fun, and I'm glad you were there. I know it was a little bit hectic and unorganized, and then the ending was a little bit rushed. Um, it should have been a little bit longer slot, or I guess we probably should have made characters ahead of time. If we had made characters ahead of time, we, we would have shaved half an hour off, and we wouldn't have been rushed at the end so it's a fault on me but thank you for playing it was a real fun game you brought a lot to the table everybody had really good ideas we had some great play and yeah i I think it was a success even considering the dm so again thank you very much i'm not going to talk about ninja city in this episode this episode is running close to an hour already and i have one more important call in uh, to give the last word, but you can if you want to hear about a, an incredibly good <laughs> recap of Ninja City and what we did uh, in Jason Connerly's 301 year end of the year call in extravaganza. He gives a recap of our DCC Ninja City game, and I'll talk about it on um, the next, uh, the last one, my my end of the year extravaganza. Um, I'll talk about Ninja City then. If I have anything to add, honestly, I don't know if I do have anything to add from the player's point of view. I think he gave a very good uh, summary and recap of that particular session. And I guess the only thing I would have to add is that we did have fun with our dojo name, the skipped tab. And when we strung up or turned in these people, turned them into the FBI, I think we put a little calling card that said, uh, this person didn't pay their tab. So uh, that was kind of some fun little thing we did to double down 
on um, the uh, Skip Tab Dojo. Hey Carl, it's Jay from Roleplay Rescue. Just wanted to thank you so much for your episode in which you gave very kind words about the game we play together. Um, you know, the Serene Dawn game set in the Third Imperium, uh, the Traveller universe, and we played using GURPS, of course. Um, yeah, thank you so much. It was great to hear that you found yourself immersed in character and um, really excited about your character, which is great. You made a, a kind of point in there that I had built a character for you, but I think what you meant was that I had built the the character like mechanically for you using the GURPS rules. Because, of course, that back and forth conversation we had was was you kind of conceptualizing this journalist that you wanted to have. And But yes, absolutely, you know, I, I brought my own spin to him as I built him for you. But um, absolutely, he's your character. So I just wanted to say, man, that thank you for playing. And, uh, you know, that Ronaldo was awesome. And, you know, Ronaldo Rice is all you, man. Game on. Well, the praise is well-deserved, Shay. Thank you for the call-in. Thanks for calling in the show. I know you're very busy and uh, got your own show and all that kind of stuff. I'm definitely looking forward to our next Traveler game because I'm really liking the game. And it's, you know, it's Traveler, of course, something I've wanted to play for a while. But I think uh, everyone, uh, GM included, brings so much to the table. And the group really, I felt, it gelled. It had a lot of personality and character that melded very well. So, and that is kind of kudos to the GM, right, uh, for bringing all that together. So, again, uh, praise is well deserved. Looking forward to the next game. Thanks for the call in. And I think, guess what? And you get the uh, last word in this really long, longish, long show that more long, much longer than I had anticipated. It's a close to an hour. Uh, but we had a lot of call-ins and I had a lot of cool games and I wanted to highlight all the neat things that have happened to me in gaming during the week. So um, thank you so much for all the call-ins. Amy, Joe, Jason, and Shay. Thanks to my players. Thanks to my listeners. Thank you, TJ Drennan, for the music. And I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>